Discussing the news that matters. Light Breakfast Front Page. On front page with me this morning is Prabhagani Sin, columnist with the Malay Mail and chief executive at Kuasa. Good morning, Prabha. Good morning. Okay. Shaz. <laughs> You've just come back from China and that was an interesting experience, wasn't it? They let me leave. They did. <laughs> they let you come in in the first place. Now, taking a look at the headlines, um, Entrepreneur Development Minister Muhammad Rezwan Muhammad Yusuf has maintained that closing Linus's rare earth processing plant in Gibing, Kuantan, was never in Pakatan Harpan's manifesto. And as such, he said that Harpan component parties should stop raising the issue. This is an issue that has been truly affecting the Rakyat. And we, the Rakyat, for sure have a voice in this. I mean, what kind of image does the entrepreneur development minister portray to the public when he requests component parties to stop raising issues? Well, the first thing is in regards to Linus and what it means, yes, he's correct. It's not in the manifesto explicitly, but so many Pakatan politicians, not from Basatu necessarily, but from DAP, PKR, have been intimately involved in the issue for more than, for at least 10 years. So it's a little bit difficult for them to say that in spirit, they have not been opposed to it. I remember back in 2012, Anwar Ibrahim was in Kuantan, part of a protest against Alenas. Mm. So that's why it's difficult to stomach it because he's trying to look at the fine print here. Right. But surely, you know, if the people are talking about it and these, you know, these issues need to be raised at some point. I mean, what Muhammad Rizwan's doing is basically telling everyone to, you know, not raise any issues. Having said that, it doesn't mean necessarily the project is wrong. I'm not here an environmentalist, an expert on the said issue. There are views from one side that it is amazingly beneficial to the economy in Pahang. Right. In a time where jobs are hard to come by, the chief executive for Mara Akram Sanusi has already spoken about how it keeps jobs in the country at a time where jobs are very important, especially to Malaysians. So having said that, you can't necessarily speak like as if almost every Malaysian thinks and dreams about Linus all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to also <laughs> right. kind of scope it right, the environmentalists in the country also. There are varying voices in the country. I'm not saying that they are wrong necessarily, but I'm saying that it does require active debate. And it's not necessarily not correct for the minister to poo-poo away, not in New Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So let's have that debate. Right, indeed. Now, PKR President Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim says he's no intention to accept a cabinet position in the event of a reshuffle. He said he's never been offered to be a cabinet member before becoming the next prime minister. So what do you think, Prabha, is the reason um, behind Anwar not accepting a cabinet position in a potential reshuffle? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that there's there's an old order and then there's a new order. In the past, it was always assumed that one party would run the country, irrespective of how many parties are in the coalition, AMNO in charge, so that the deputy president of AMNO would also be the deputy prime minister. You know, Raza to Rahman, Ismail and Hussein on to Raza, Mahade to Hussein on, and of course, Mahade had a lot of deputy prime ministers from Musa Hitam, Gaffer Baba, Anwar Ibrahim, Patla. So, having said that, we're not in the old order anymore. And if to answer your question directly, if Anwar joins that cabinet, then he just becomes a member of Mahade's cabinet, therefore subservient mm-hmm. to Mahade. 
as it stands right now, he's just a person who sits in the Council of Presidents and a man who runs 50 seats. He's the man effectively keeping Mahathir in a job. Right. So he doesn't want to temper that power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Even if some people are saying that he may not necessarily have all 50 of the PKR MPs under him. Right. So this is a game of chess. It's a game of not wanting to do the same thing. Because remember, the last time Anwar was Deputy Prime Minister to Mahadi, mm-hmm. it didn't end very well for him. No, indeed. So what can he do to ease himself into the role of Prime Minister? At I, some point, I mean, it has to happen, right? Well, I actually agree with the Anwar team on this one. Uh, not playing it the way Mahadi would want it to be played. Have his proxy, his wife, Wan Aziza as Deputy Prime Minister, and he himself running the party. So they're running it from two points. And having said that, he's just saying that Bursatu has 10 plus MPs. We've got 50 plus MPs. Let's have the discussion at the Council of Presidents. I think that's the right strategy. And to keep that relationship not tempered into the cabinet. And eight resolutions, including calling for a clear date of the transition plan between Datuk Sri Anwar and Tun Dr. Mahathir, were passed at the Reformist Convention on Sunday, this past Sunday. Does a clear transition plan between uh, Tun and Anwar allay fears or does it undermine the current premiership? What are your thoughts on this, Prabha? I don't think anyone can promise. It seems antithetical, the whole idea of reform. At the same time, we want something arranged and fixed. The whole idea of reform is disruption. It's a challenge to uh, status quo. And when you say you want to challenge status quo, at the same time, you want complete stability and a fixed process. It seems like not only politicians in Malaysia seem to be misguided, but the general public also. Mm. We seem to want to have uh, home comforts for some reason. I, I don't think necessarily it's important. In a real coalition, it will be difficult to determine the power plays. It was the same in India in the 1990s, a whole string of coalition governments. And the same thing you even have in Indonesia, where no one's really sure sometimes who holds control of the national parliament. Mm -hmm. That is the nature of a real coalition. Malaysians have been spoiled by a Barisan National fixed coalition for 40 years, and we assume that's how coalitions operate. That said, are there any news about any kind of power transition at this point? Because we keep hearing the exact same. It's almost like a repeat press conference from both sides. Because all sides are playing politics. If you ask Anwar, he goes like, yes, I'm going to wait for my time for Tun. At the same time, he says, yes, I'm going to be the eighth prime minister. He goes on lecture tours saying he's the eighth prime minister of the country. Made goes like, yes, I'm passing over the power. But he says this. I'm going to pass the power if all Malaysians really want Anwar to be the Prime Minister. What does that actually mean? Mm. It's, it just floats in the air. So since everyone's playing politics perpetually, it leads everyone to feel confused. And of course, everyone's going to take whichever parts they want to take from it because they leave it. It's very open-ended. Yeah. And this is the problem. Uh, nobody wants to be a statesman. Everybody wants to be a politician. Uh, this is the only game Mahade knows how to play to keep everything floating. 
But on the same token, this is the game Anwar plays, keeping everything floating. Maybe Malaysians need a different way of looking at it. Maybe it may not come from these two gentlemen. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll definitely be watching this, whatever forecast <laughs> you just mentioned. And uh, don't be selective about justice. This is what PKR Vice President Zuraida Kamarudin has lambasted. Um, the decision by the party to sack Sarawak PKR Chief Baru Bian's former political secretary Zakaria Abdulhamid over suspicion of corruption and bribery. As the saying goes, justice is blind. Is Rida justified in arguing that the reform spirit within PKR is collapsing? Before we get into the Right Honourable Minister saying reform is dead in the party, one might want to ask, what is reform in PKR? Because it seems like a fluid concept in which when you oppose everything that's presently there, that means it's reform. I think she's dragging the issue of differences of opinions within the party mm-hmm. and everyone's trying to grab onto the idea of reform because Anwar also keeps talking about reform. So both sides are talking about reform. I think the real issue here is there's a schism inside the party. Everyone speaks in double speak. A, they say there's no split in the party. At the same time, they openly have open warfare against each other. Yeah, okay. So uh, that said, I mean, when she says, you know, um, with regards to this particular sacking, uh, she was referring as well to cases involving gangsterism and bribes asked during party elections. Look, it's part of Malaysian culture. Let's be honest and let's be frank. Politicians in this country believe the only way you can get support from Malaysians because they look down on voters is to promise things. It's not to promise ideas or policies, it's to promise things. We saw that in the last by-election and it's going to carry on. So when we pick and choose, one might say there have always been financial promises by politicians Mm -hmm. on both sides of the divide all the time. So we're now nitpicking. I mean, I know Zach myself and I'm just saying that everyone's from the same part of the tree. So you're almost like picking on the branches when there's something to do the whole tree or the whole plantation. You'll get people like Rafizi, you'll get on Anwar's side, you get people like Farhash on Anwar's side, then you have people like Akmal on uh, Anwar's side, then you have people on uh, Azmin's side, people like Hilman, and they're talking about what is fair or not. Everyone's accusing one side's not attending another person's uh, function, and they're not inviting each other. Right. Everyone's hiding behind a probable or possible defense of their actions. But in the spirit of it, how can you be one party if you don't want to come together? Mm-hmm. That no one wants to answer. All right, indeed. And um, now it looks like uh, China nationals will be taught how to behave in Malaysia, according to China's ambassador to Malaysia, Bai Tian. He says the embassy has received several reports on tourists who did not respect the sensitivity of Malaysians. And of course, we've seen a couple of incidences, uh, namely tourists attacking immigration officers at KLIA2. This happened in September. An incident in Sabah where tourists from China act insensitive in front of a mosque. Prabha, how can we make this work for both parties, namely by having visitors respect local customs and cultures while also fully enjoying their trips here? That's a very um, difficult question, Chaz, because what you're asking is how do we control behaviors of individuals? First of all, tourists come because it's for fun or for purposes of leisure. How do you contain 
10 million arrivals in Malaysia. And that's the kind of arrival rates that we have mm-hmm. from China. The ambassador has to say that. He would say we will try to do something. They might give them a printed copy of how to behave in Malaysia. I mean, you can't expect people applying for Malaysian visas in China to be going through a course. Exactly. We wouldn't want it. China wouldn't want it. And more importantly, Tourism Malaysia would cry if they hear about it because it would drastically drop the rates of people. Why would I want to take a course to go to Malaysia when I go to Thailand, Indonesia, the Philippines without taking said course? Mm, yeah, and but you do see kind of the same kind of complaints about certain tourists when, you know, it doesn't matter where you go. It's the price of globalization, isn't it? I mean, airports around the world will cringe about the fact that Malaysians go to their airport toilets or even hotels in their country and and, and and are upset right. that it's a dry toilet and act in a way that is kind of disrespectful to their culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cross-cultural understanding is a challenge for all societies, much more for a society that's wanting to welcome tourists as Malaysia does. It's the price of business. What we can do is we can try to get more tourist guides to have trained for sensitivity, to right. subtly put the idea across as people arrive in the tourist buses, talk to them. But having said that, I don't think you can alter behaviours that people Mm -hmm. already hold all their lives and in a 15-minute conversation, change it. The Chinese don't have that many mosques in particular parts of China. Many parts Mm -hmm. of China, they may not be exposed at all. This is not a statement about religions. It's just an issue of different cultures. That doesn't mean people should disrespect. Thailand has strong views on how it deals with tourists that cross the line. Yes, if you speak absolutely. anything about royalty mm-hmm. or they break the law, they go to a Thai prison. And nobody wants to go to a Thai prison, no. even more than a Malaysian prison. Right. Well, <laughs> interesting indeed. Yeah, I was wondering how they were going to you know, implement this at all. But I guess something had to be said and the ambassador did say it. Well, Prama, thank you so much for your thoughts this morning on Front Page. You're welcome, Shaz. I'm always excited to come on board.